Welcome to My Life, Chassidus Applied, episode 286. A good yontif. We're just concluding Yud Kislev, the Chag HaGeula, the day that the Mittler Rebbe was redeemed from prison, similar to his father, the Alter Rebbe. And Yud Kislev, so Yud Kislev, nine days earlier, in the year Tovkuf Pezayin, a year before the Mittler Rebbe was in Stalik, which was on Tes Kislev, as we spoke about last week, I hope that's not too confusing. So Tes Kislev is the birthday and Yartzev of the Mitla Rebbe. Passed away in Tovkuv Peiches. The year before was the Chagal Gu'uli. He was released from prison. And ever since, it's also been designated as a Yontav. Chassidim say the reason it wasn't, didn't catch on as being such a powerful Yontav as Yutas Kislev. Powerful, in other words, in Pirsum. In publicity. Not, in, not talking in quality and quantity. Because the year, the first year of the Chagal was literally a day after the Histalkus. But nevertheless, that Abayim designated as a Chaga Geula, and till this day and forever, as the Rebbe explains in a number of places, what was the Chaga Geula of Yud Kislev? So in general, both Geulas, Yud Kislev and Yud Kislev are connected, as it says in the Sichas, that Yud Kislev is the birthday of a Chosid, and Yud Kislev is the Yem Bris, the day of the Bris, which is eight, nine days later. The... So we see from that that they're connected. But more specifically, the Geula of the Alter Rebbe was in the general revelation of Chassidus. Because the Alter Rebbe, of course, Chabad Chassidus, Chassidus Chabad, was initiated, Miyasid, the founder of Chassidus Chabad, was the Alter Rebbe. So the Yutas Kis of the arrest was a form of a concealment, a challenge to that revelation. So that is Nukudis HaChochme. Chochme is the beginning, the innovation. But it still was a spark. And yes, after the redemption, after the Geul of Yutas Kisru, the Alter Rebbe began to, uh, the Iku Yufutsam Enesecher began, the Alter Rebbe began to expand on these teachings. And Yud Kislev is the Geul of Bina of Chesidus, the Mitla Rebbe Bina, as we see in his Teda, that everything by the Alter Rebbe, which is short and concentrated, is expanded upon and amplified by the Mitla Rebbe. So the Geul too is a Geul in Bina of Chesidus. And since Chesidus is meant to come into Avon of Asoga, which means not just points, not just bullet points, not just concentrated ideas, but actually developed in ways that we can fully comprehend them and contemplate on them to the point that they lead us to Amida, to an awakening of our emotion, and that leads us to Machshava, Dibra, Maisa, shift in our thought, speech, and action. So Bina is a necessary requirement because that is the next step in the Ishtalshus of Chassidus, taken from Chachmet to Bina. So the Geula of the Mitla Rebbe adds in the Geula an expansion and the dissemination of Chassidus in the Yafutsu, both in quantity and in quality. As we see when we learn about Mitla Rebbe's Chassidus, you see that dimension, you see that physically, without learning, you could just see the amount of pages. For three pages from the Alter Rebbe, it could be 30 pages by the Mitla Rebbe, 20 pages, but definitely uh, expanded. So as the expression goes in Chassidus, Nukudde Behechola. The Nukudde is Chachma, and Hechola is its uh, corridor. So Nukud is the point, but it needs to have a place to reside and to expand, and that's Bina. So the Gula we celebrate today, in nine days we'll be celebrating Yutas Kislev, is the Gula in Bina of Chassidus, in the expansion that allowed Chassidus to really catch on. Though the Alter Rebbe was already being spread, but it cannot be compared to the way it began to be spread after the Gula and after the Stalkus of the Mitla Rebbe. And of course, the next generations, the subsequent generations, would expand it even further. So we're celebrating today Yud Kislev, which of course relates to the entire theme and entire soul of this uh, program. My life, Chassidus applied, applying Chassidus, and applying Chassidus is far easier to do and necessary, you can even say, when you have the Bina, when it's fleshed out, when it's detailed, when it's broken down into details, you can then apply it to particular areas in life. So we honor the Mitla Rebbe and his Geula on this day. And um, we, of course, take, direct, take resolutions and directives based on the Mitla Rebbe and the Alter Rebbe and all the Rabbeim in continuing our learning of Chassidus and our disseminating of it and our, our spreading it and distributing it in every possible way. The Mitla Rebbe, in different expressions we hear, he vinsch that people would, wherever they would meet, they would talk about Yehudi lo Yehudi tato. Sometimes the expression is das elyon, das tachten, to the point he said that they should recognize and appreciate 
a lakus, like we recognize and appreciate the five fingers on our hands. In other words, we should be so familiar with it and so comfortable with it that we can talk about it in that fashion. And of course, this is consistent with the bina, taking chassidus in a way that we can totally relate to it and internalize it and talk about it as part of our regular conversation. And that's what we need to try to do in every possible way, everyone at their own level. And that's for ourselves and as well as the seminary, because when you speak about it, you have to speak to another person. So today is a good day to take on such resolutions, which of course are not just for today, for tomorrow and forever, in spreading chassidus in the fullest possible way, in a binadika way, explaining things, not just giving the point and the short version, but actually elaborating upon it and expanding and expounding on the topics. It's also the week of Parsha Vayishlach. So based on what I've said till now, is based a lot of it is based on two main sikhs, Sikh of Yud Shvat, I'm sorry, Yud Kislev Tovshin Mem Aleph, and even more, Yud Kislev Tovshin Mem Zayin. So in Sefer HaSikhs Tovshin Mem Zayin, you can find the edited version of the themes that I just addressed, much more elaborate, obviously, and much more accurate, grounded in the source. But the Rebbe also connects it to the Parshas. The Parshas are the site, we live with the time, so the chapters in which we read relate to this theme as well. So last week we spoke about the connection of Vayetzei, Vayetze means to draw outwards. And the Mitla Rebbe drew the Nekud of Chachma, which is still internal, drew it outward by expanding Achsidis, which of course expanding the activities, expanding the publication, expanding the dissemination, as I just described. So in the Geula, you continue that theme, but now we're at the beginning of Pasha Vayishlach. Now we know Vayishlach is a continuation of the themes of Vayetze. Vayetze, Yaakov builds his family in a very difficult place in Charon. The chapter concludes with him returning back home after 20 years. But now he's coming with an entire family. Every, all the Shvatim except Binyamin were born. And now we enter in Parsha Vayishlach. And Vayishlach, the first thing, as the name of the chapter says, states, he sent angels, he sent messengers to different opinions in Rashi to see what's going on with his brother Esau. As Chassidus explains, he had to, we, well, first of all, in Pshat, he left Israel, he left Be'er Sheva, in order to run away from Esav and to build a family. Now that 20 years have passed, he wants to know what happened with Esav. Remember, Esav wanted to kill him. Esav is the alter ego and the antithesis to Yaakov, twin brothers struggling from pregnancy, one representing the materialism of this world, elevating it, yes, but also can become a warrior and a, uh, and a hunter. A man of warrior, who knows how to hunt, a cunning warrior, which is the role of the animal soul, which is necessary when it's harnessed properly. And Yaakov is Ishtam Yeshiva Holim, was the innocent person, the simple one, the simple, not as simple as in seamless, pure, and sits in the tents, dwells in the tents in the studying Torah, the Nefesh the Kis, and they are Zelu Umazah, they reside side by side. Lu'umalum Yemats, they're in constant struggle and battle with each other, perpetual. So Yaakov wants to know what happened now 20 years later, and he's ready now to deal with Esau, and hopefully, as he hoped, Esau would already be ready for Mashiach, for the Birur. There are different ways that my modem says. Some say he believed he was ready, some say he hoped he was ready, but then he finds out, no, Esau is not ready. So the story really continues in Yaakov's work of refining this material world and preparing it and aligning it to the way God wanted to be. The Aveda, of course, began with Avramovinu, and then Yitzchok, and now Yaakov in his unique way to Feris, the third Kav, the third of the three of us. And he realizes that, Yaakov, that Esau still needs bitters. But what's the point of Vayishlach? Vayishlach has a similar connotation as Vayetze. Vayetze means to go out, Vayishlach means to send out. Because the ultimate goal of Teir in general, and Chassidus in particular, is not just to remain in the Holy of Holies, to remain in Arun Kedish, in the Holy Ark, to remain in Abes Amigdash or in Abes Aknesis or in a, in a Shul, but it's to go outward and to bring its power to this world. Like the Alta Rebbe says, the Teda originates in the highest levels in, uh, in heaven and even beyond. And yet, Misham Nosov Yarda was sent on a journey to travel. That's the Vayetzi, the Vayishlach, not just to travel, but to actually send out emissaries and ambassadors that would carry your message and carry your legacy and carry your mission. 
which is what Yaakov did to send messengers, Shluch and Kamesei, in order to achieve his objectives of bringing godliness everywhere, including to Esau. So that's what the Mitla Rebbe did, Vayishlach, through his Svarim, through the publication of his Svarim, and of course encouraging and expecting and demanding of his Chassidim to be a Shluchim that when you came to Lubavitch to hear Chassidus from the Mitla Rebbe was expected that now when you travel back, you should be a Vayishlach, the Mitla Rebbe sends you as a Shliach, that every city you go to, it was expected that you Chazer Chassidus. That's where you have the famous story of one of the chassidim who would do that, and he did it very well, and he began to feel yeshes. He began to feel that he was really good at it. So he came to the Mitle Rebbe and says, it's causing him to become more arrogant. So the Mitle Rebbe said the famous line, Even if you become like an onion, which means that you're despicable and bitter and, 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 uh, and uh, causes people to tear up, Nevertheless, Chassidus also chazer. The Rebbe explains in many different sikhs, Purim Tav Shachai and others, what the Sibyl and Moshal is. But the point is that the goal has to be achieved. Obviously, you should be more than a Sibyl, you should be like a beautiful entity. But the, paint is, the, the point is that you have to be a Shliach. Shliach what? To take the Chochm of Chassidus that the Alter Rebbe was founded and innovated, based, of course, on the Teira and Nigla and Chassidus and Primis Atera before him. And Bina, Recheva Sanar, expanded. Expanding it both Kamus, which means quantity, reaching much more people, and wider and broader, like the Recheva Sanar, like the expanded river that's wide and expansive, and also expansive in the sense of reaching more people and reaching them in a deeper way. And that's the point of Ayishlach. So Ayishlach Yaakov Melochim is essentially with the Baveda that the Mitla Rebbe. was unique in, in taking more of the chassidus and turning it into Vayishlach. Now, of course, as the generations passed, the Rebbe took it to a whole other level, where today you have shluchim, literally Vayishlach, shluchim everywhere and all over the world. But as we've been talked many times, and the Rebbe speaks in many places, that the Rebbeim are like built upon each other. The Alta Rebbe contributed to Chochme, the Mitla Rebbe Binet, Samar Das, and as it expands and grows further, we get all the way to Malchus, as the Rebbe says in the first Maimer, Bosalegani, which we're coming to, this is Yud Kislev, we're going to Yud Shvat in two months from now, that we're coming to the 70th year when that Maimer was published, 70th year of the Histalkus of the Friedrich Rebbe and the Kabbalist Nasiyas, the Rebbe becoming the leader. The seventh generation, what's the seventh generation? It's seventh from the first. So the Alta Rebbe, the Mitla Rebbe, and the seventh would be the Rebbe, and the Rebbe would take the Chsidis and take the Tehidim in the broadest possible way. But you can say the Bina aspect of that, Malchus, of course, channels all the spheres. Lesla Megamo, Klum, it has nothing of its own. So the Bina aspect, you can say Bina through Malchus, is that expansion, the expansiveness of it. And of course, each Rebbe contributes another aspect to this, and everyone continues to contribute. It doesn't go away, God forbid. The Alta Rebbe's contribution, of course, is the whole foundation of it, and the Mitla Rebbe. And of course, the other Rabbeim, which is not for now, we're talking about Yud Kislev. This week is also Yudalit Kislev. This is the 91st anniversary of the Rebbe and the Rebetzin, Tafresh Peites, Yudalit Kislev, the 14th of Kislev that year in Varsha, in Warsaw, the Rebbe and the Rebetzin got married. And that is also an eternal day because the Rebbe said, Tafshin Yudalit was the 25th anniversary from Tafresh Peites. He said that this is the day that bound me to you and you to me. Because essentially that made the connection of the Rebbe through the Rebetzin to being the son-in-law of the Friedrich Rebbe, which would be the Mamala Mokin. And the Hirats of the Rebbe said that we should do our work well and it should bear fruit. I mentioned the story a number of times. I use it in Torah Minik Flefer. So it's a just touching story that there was once a woman who was by the Rebbe in the, in the Rebetzin in the house on Yudal Kislev. She came, she was Mrs. Cohen, Rebetzin Cohen. She was friendly with the rabbits, and the rabbits showed her all the flowers that were sent. Beautiful bouquets. And there was one beautiful bouquet in the kitchen, not in the living room or dining room, but the rabbits didn't show it to her, but this Mrs. Cohen saw it, so she asked the rabbits in that one. So the rabbits let her there, was courteous, and said, and who is this from? She said, this is from my husband. As she got closer, she realized they weren't flowers, they were actually dried fruit, the shape of flowers. Many lessons can be learned from that. 
But it, it strikes you because the Rebbe said, Yiratzin, there should be paytas should come out of this. Because flowers, we know, wither after a while. It's beautiful for the moment, for a day or two. And paytas live on forever. Perhaps that's a connection. So that's what the Rebbe says. So this day, Yudalat Kislev, remains a key day because it's a connection of, you could say, Za and Malchus, of the Deir Ashvi, of the Rebbe and the Rebetzin, which, of course, is the source of Ashpah and Baracha, transmissions and Barachas and flow of all the blessings and gifts of our generation, of course, also the directives that stem from that union, which becomes the Deir Ashvi, our Rebbe and Rebetzin. So I thought appropriate to talk about many different things we've talked about in previous years, and I'll just refer you. I'm also going to do some cross-referencing. I always use this opportunity. Let's do a little housekeeping. So this is episode 286. For those of you that are first here, for the, that are listening to this for the first time, all these programs are, are live, are broadcast live Sunday night, every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. And then they're archived, and you can download a podcast, an MP3, so you can listen to it on the road, on the go, exercising in the different ways that people listen to this. And uh, all these archives can, be found, archives can be found now at a special site called chassidusapplied.com, www.chassidusapplied.com. You can also submit there any question you like anonymously, completely anonymously, which is really the driving engine of this program, answering your questions. To the best of my ability of utilizing chassidus, either direct or indirectly from chassidus, from sikhs, from letters, from directives, and the spirit of Chassidus to addressing the psychological, emotional, and personal needs of each one of us and of our general generation, collectively. So that is that. And we have, therefore, I cross-references because with all these different episodes, it's almost unlikely that there'll be a topic like Yud Kislev and Ve'yishlag that has not been addressed. So first, let me cross-reference the, epi- the episodes where I spoke about Yud Kislev and Ve'yishlag. Episode 91, 141, 190, and 236. This is for your option. If you'd like to go there to expand on some of these ideas, feel free to do so. Now, as far as Yudalit Kislev has spoken about a lot, marriage in general, but specifically from Yudalit Kislev in the episodes 41, 190, and 236. And marriage in general, let me just give you a few episodes, quite a few, I'll just give some of them. Episode 2, 6, 39, 66, 67, 95, 131, 145, 148, 177, 200, 226, and 235. Okay, so well, let's take a few new questions that have come in recent months, recent weeks, and since they're marriage-related, I thought in honoring the Rebbe and the Rebbe, so what better way to honor them is to take directives from their marriage and from the ideals that they stood up and lived, stood, the ideals that they represented as a Dug Machai, as a living example that we can derive from that lessons to our, to our own marriages, to certain questions that are asked. So some of these are not directly necessarily direct, directive, but we know from the spirit of what a quintessential, beautiful chassidish union, divine union, that the Rebbe and the Rebetzin represented, something, things we can glean and learn from ourselves. So we'll begin with a question. How should a person decide who to marry? Okay, this is a question that's been asked many times. And actually for this, we do have directives from the Rebbe. And basically, there's certainly you say this consistently, the Rebbe's answer to this question is, a person has Yiddish Shemayim, Midas Tevis. And the Rebbe sometimes says, Hainu Hach. Yiddish means a person who realizes, I'm not just here about me. There's something greater than I am. And I respect that, and I dedicate my life to living up to a force, to a will, to a mission that's greater than myself. To put it in simple English. And Midas Tevis is being a kind person. And the Rebbe says they're interconnected. Why? Because being a kind person means you're not selfish. You're not all about me. It's about being a giving person. And the other things the Rebbe says are usually secondary. Now this doesn't mean there aren't criteria like beauty, being physically attracted to someone, emotionally connected, intellectually compatible. But if you get to the core that you saw, that's what it comes down to. Now, of course, you should talk to Mashpi because each person is different. You could say Yiddish There's a lot of people have Yiddish and Midas Tevis. Is that for me? But when you meet someone, that is a vital thing in their personality, a partner in life. That you know that no matter what happens coming your way, you know this is a partner in your life that you can talk to, will not be completely consumed by their own needs, 
someone that's a true partner. The Rebbe and Rebbe, of course, live up to that. When it came down to the Rebbe becoming a Rebbe, the price that was paid was a heavy one on the Rebbe, and even more so on the Rebbe. And yet the cause had to be lived up to. And many, many other such examples. In addition, I saw recently a note that I just would like to read. This is actually a handwritten note from the Rebbe. You can see it here, you can see it here. Handwritten note. And I'm going to read the, the theme of it because it fits into, since I don't think I've ever read it, L'chavivusa de Milsa, so let me translate. In a shidduch, in a match, especially in this case, the primary thing has to be that she should match what it says, A woman of valor in the end of Eishas Chayil, a woman who is a Yiddish Hashem, Hitisal, that that's how she is praised. Including obvious and simple and, and, and uh, understandable, a woman who has midis tevis, good midis, good personality, good emotions, and everything else. And everything else compared to the above is tofel the tofel, secondary of secondary. So the Rebbe continues, when you'll focus on this, you'll definitely find, Hashem will definitely help you find your shidduch. And when you do that and you commit, it says that uh, that will ultimately lead to other qualities that you'll see in a person once you have those foundations. Those foundations usually lead to other great qualities. It says, including that when you focus on, just talking now to the person who's looking for the shidduch, when you focus on a behavior, that day-to-day behavior that according to Torah mitzvahs, that also includes betochen, faith and trust in God, and therefore that will eliminate any fears to make a decision regarding a shidduch. So the Rebbe is adding that the doubts that you have, the way to eliminate them, the way to dissolve them is by having betachen, faith and trust in God. Okay. okay, let's go to another question regarding marriage. How should people invite, uh, uh, how, who should people invite to their wedding? So this is a common sense question. Since it came in, I'll just answer it. Obviously family and friends. The question is how many? So the Rebbe once told, actually, somebody who had money, who asked the Rebbe, he wants to make a wedding, and since he has money, he can spend a lot of money. So the Rebbe said, it should be be'ikir ashiras beruchnias, and the minimal begashmis. It should be a wealthy wedding in spiritual, and, the min- and minimum in physical, meaning you don't have to spend, overspend money. And the Rebbe writes, said to him, or wrote to him, k'day lefarsim, and it's, pro- it's appropriate for you to also publicize this. So as far as the size of a wedding, it's very hard to answer a black and white question like that. It depends on a person, obviously family and friends. If you're able to, you want to invite more people. Friends is a very broad term. I don't know if there's a black and white answer, but there's a general not to go into particularly additional debts just to show off or just to have to match someone else's way of doing a wedding. This is one of the things that I've talked about a lot, to spend the money on what's important, the most important to help the couple build their lives. What is the bare minimum amount of people that should be at the wedding? I think that's connected to my previous answer. How long should the wedding be? Okay, these again are questions that are not, we don't have directives. There are weddings in some countries, I know they go from the afternoon through the whole night. Long, long weddings. There are weddings that go shorter. I don't know if there's a black and white answer. I think you have to recognize, first of all, the custom of the city, how other families in your community are doing. Secondly, again, price. Not everybody could afford, and there's no reason to waste more money than necessary. So, on the other hand, it's not a short wedding, just a few minutes, obviously. You have a wedding that extends a few hours. But again, there's no black and white thing. I would just say be prudent and be practical. And there's no reason, again, to do things for external reasons. Everything should be done for, for a significant reason. No reason to exhaust the chasen kala and the families and all the guests. So keeping a wedding to a certain amount is a perfectly fine. With their cities where it's done a little differently, so we follow the customs if possible. 
And again, these things should always be asked by a mashpia, someone that knows you and you knows your situation. What should people do at their, at, at, at their or other people's weddings that they don't like to dance? <laughs> so first of all, there's a mitzvah to dance. It's a mitzvah, that we dance before the kala. Now the, the, the custom today is before the chosen and the kala, separately. And so there's a mitzvah to dance. So even if you don't like, there's a lot of things we do even if we don't like. doesn't mean you have to dance for hours. But to just show and participate and be mesameach, achos and kala, simchus kala, achnosas kala, is considered one of the biggest mitzvahs that actually overrides others. So to say, I'm not in the mood of celebrating, well, find a way. Dance is a dance where you could have to be a standout. You dance with a few people together. You find ways to do it. Some people love to dance. Obviously, that's not a question here. So I think you just do a little, the minimal that you feel that you can. And sometimes it's also a good challenge to get out of your comfort zone and do a little dancing and not just be so wound up or uptight in your own self, especially here where it's a mitzvah. Okay. A few more shidduch-related comments. Okay, so someone writes, Hi, Rabbi Jacobson. I'm in my late 20s and single, and I currently work at a firm company. Anyway, there's a girl at work that I'm interested in. To be honest, I haven't really ever spoken to her other than a good morning if we pass each other in the hallway. But I'm attracted to her, and from what I can tell about her personality, she seems like someone I would want to get to know. Maybe she's the one. However, a few things. First, she's in Chabad. Second, I'm worried that if I ask her to go out on a date, she might complain to HR, Human Resources. It's a firm company, so it's not really accepted to do these type of things. And I haven't been at the company for that long, so I don't want to get in trouble. Third, I'm shy and don't even have the confidence to even ask her. I don't feel comfortable asking a shatchan to bring it up to her family because it, was, it will be so random. How would, something, so, how would someone know both me and her? I don't want them to know the suggestion came from me. Anyway, it's something I think about a lot, and I think it's causing me to be less interested in other women Girls that Shatchanim are suggesting to me. Thank you. So first of all, I don't see any reason why you cannot find somebody who knows their family, her family, someone that can look into you or maybe knows you, and you reach and they reach out, which is commonly done, not coming from you. So therefore, there's no embarrassment to you if she, they say no or the other way around. Someone that can explore. I mean, there's the only other option here. I don't think it's appropriate to go over, correct? First of all, you may make her uncomfortable. It may not be the right thing to do, especially, as you say, in a firm environment. But to find people, the people, there are people that do this. You have parents, you have cousins, you have brothers, you have sisters. Find someone that can call someone from her family, find out her name, and perhaps they can explore it. And it may take a work. As far as Chabad, not Chabad, it's a whole different discussion. We don't try to limit the pool. If it's a fine person, a good person, so try it out. It's, you see the values and see what comes out of it. These are practical suggestions that I don't think need more than what I've just said. And always refer to someone that you can talk to, knows you and knows your situation. Another question regarding Shidduchim. I went on a Shidduch many dates. I thought it was a good idea. And she said she didn't feel a connection. I had an idea of a Shidduch for her. Should I suggest it? Here are the reasons why I should not. Maybe there's a chance she'll change her mind and agree to continue dating with me. And here I'm running, ruining the chances by suggesting her something else. A case of Shema Yagdimenu Acher. That's one of the, the din says in Shulchan, Shulchan Aruch, based on the Gemara, that that's the reason you can date a Chalamayid, because Shema Yagdimenu Acher, maybe someone else will get it. So here, if I suggest it to someone else, maybe I will lose out. Who says my suggestion is a good one and will be taken seriously anyway? And who says a single bacher should be suggestion Shaduchim, even though I've done so in the past? This is a case-by-case. Case. I can't really answer this question. First of all, it's, yes, it's appropriate to figure out whether you're finished with it. If you're still in the middle of dating and there's still even a havamina, a, meaning a, a possibility that you'll continue, no, I wouldn't suggest anyone else. So first, I think I would suggest to have closure. After this closure, I don't see any reason not to suggest. I don't think it has to be to her. That may be hurtful, that you're not finished dating with her and you're suddenly suggesting, but maybe through a third party, as I mentioned in the previous question. And, uh, and why not? If she's a fine person, people are always looking for a shidduch, maybe you're the shliach, if it didn't work out with you, maybe it is someone that can be good for someone else. Okay. And finally, shidduch resumes. 
Firstly, thank you for your weekly episodes. They are truly great. Was wondering if you accept Shidduch resumes. If many, so many watch your show and there are two compatible singles who are searching, perhaps it would be, it could be with Be'ezus Hashem and God's help and Ashgach HaProdes be an ideal avenue and your platform to serve and have this as a side feature that people can send you these resumes. I never thought of it that way. People do send me resumes because I do know different people and I, I do my best. I'm not a shatkan per se, but I try to pass it on if people ask me and so on. I don't have a problem if somebody wants to send me shudduch resumes, but I think best is to send them to shatchanim. Um, I am happy to use this platform in any way that helps the community, that helps any individual. A shidduch is the foundation of all life. Finding your spouse, finding your soulmate is so often the root of so many, other, can bring the blessings of so many other issues that people deal and struggle with. So if I can use this platform, I don't think I can use the platform to start reading shidduch resumes here. I don't think that's appropriate. So I'm not sure if I would accept them how I'm going to use the platform, but I can definitely encourage uh, people to go to different shatchanim or different places online or some other places that are appropriate to find their shidduch. But since you wrote the question, you know, I get questions from all different sugim, different types, so I read that as well. Okay, we move on now. We covered our Yudalat Kislev feature about marriage. There's always more, and I gave the course references before. Here's a bunch of questions that came in on, la- on, this week's pa- on last week's Pasha, yesterday's Pasha. I didn't want to wait for another year, even though we already read Vayetze, because a lot of these questions come in after last week, last Sunday's program. So I thought I would cover at least some of them. And if time is limited, that which it always is, I will, um, I will leave some of these questions for the next week, for next week. So this is all about, mostly about the Pasha with Yaakov and his marriage to Leah and to Rachel. The whole story is roiled and um, shrouded in mystery, more than mystery, and controversy. The deception. That stands out. So the question that's, that's being asked, how do we explain all the deception found in these Torah chapters? First, the chapter entailed us. Yaakov and Rakov buying the birthright in a deceiving way with Esau. Okay, you could say that's not deception, but it was still some form of blackmail. Then Yaakov and Rivka deceiving Yitzchak to receive the blessings. The next parsha of Ayetze, which we read yesterday, Lovan, of course, the Ramoy, Lovan Arami, the person who was the great deceiver, the sly, shrewd, cunning, and conniving Lovan, the uncle of Yaakov, brother, I should say, of Rivka, how he conspires. And when, even though that Yaakov was promised, I worked seven years for Rachel, he suddenly puts Leia under the chuppah. And but Rachel participates in that, in deceiving Yaakov. And this would become the birth of all the Shvatim. The entire Jewish nation is born out of this. So I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna limit these questions to these parshas, even though they really extend to many other places, similar issues. So what's going on? And the way one person wrote it is like this. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, just for the record, very often in the Pasha, we get many, many questions. And uh, I'm trying to just sum up some of them because it's hard to read them all due to time limitations. But several questions came in of this uh, nature of this family. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, thank you for your ongoing weekly life lessons through the prism of Chabad Chassidus. They are truly inspiring. My question is from Pasha's Vietzi. What are we to make of Rochel's deception of Yaakov? Rashi teaches that Yaakov was fearful of Lavan, cheating him regarding his upcoming marriage. Therefore, he devised signs with Rachel to prevent Lavan's treachery. This is Rashi, based on the Gemara in Baba Basra, Kufchav Gimel Amar Aleph, 123a. Rachel, the Gemara continues, and Rashi gave her sister the signs. She didn't want Leah to be embarrassed because now that Lavan had replaced Rachel with Leah, Leah would come after the marriage and uh, Yaakov would be waiting for the signs, and he'd realize it would embarrass Leah. So Leah gave her sister the signs she and Yaakov had agreed upon, thus deceiving him in a profound way. Not only that, Rashi puts a positive spin on it. She didn't want her sister to be embarrassed. But this seems to be the opposite of everything we are taught about marriage. Husband and wives are to put their spouses before other humans. How could she put her sister's potential embarrassment ahead of her future husband's trust and seven years of work? 
were her childless years retribution for deceiving him in this most fundamental way. Another one person writes a similar question. Hi, Rabbi Jacobson. I've tuned into your weekly chassidus applied since its inception and gained greatly from your transmission of the lessons our Rebbeim taught. My question is about this week's Pasha. We are taught that Jacob was tricked by Laban and Leah, and Leah was given to him in marriage instead of Rachel. Presumably he was tricked because, A, there was a party including alcohol, so he was inebriated. Two, it was dark, so he couldn't see it was given, he, that he was given Leah instead of Rachel. And C, Leah probably didn't talk much that evening, so he couldn't hear her voice. There's different reasons in Medrash and so on. This reminds me of the way Jacob got the blessings from Yitzchak. One, Jacob served wine. B, Yitzchak was blind. So he couldn't see it was Jacob instead of Esau. And see, Yaakov didn't speak as much. And when he did, he almost gave away the ruse. Does Chassidus look at the story of Laban tricking Jacob as what goes around comes around? Was Jacob getting tricked the same way he had just tricked his father? And finally, a third question. What was Leah's role of responsibility in Lovin's deception of Yaakov? Leah's role in Lovin's deception of Yaakov? Yeah. Hello, Rabbi Simon. I was studying the Parsha with my rabbi and I had a question he didn't have an immediate answer for. Maybe you have a lesson from the Chabad Rebbe's that addresses this issue. What was Leah's role and responsibility in Lovan's deception of Yaakov when he gave Yaakov Leah instead of Rachel? Assuming that she was mature enough to marry, shouldn't she have had the decency to stop the charade and alert Yaakov to the fact that he was being duped? All excellent questions. And when you go into the Gemara, it becomes even more strange because it's actually a conversation. Yaakov proposes to Rachel, the Gemara says. Will you marry me? She says, yes, but I have a father that's a deceiver. He's a cunning liar and deceives. He'll, he'll deceive and he will want Leah to marry you before me because that's the custom here. So Yaakov, so Yaakov says, I'm his brother in conniving, in, in deception. I can handle him. So Leah, so Rachel asks uh, Yaakov, is an, is an, are you a, a tzaddik, a righteous person, allowed to be deceiving? So he says, when you're dealing with deceiving people, you're allowed to be deceiving because you have to counter their, their uh, deception. So then goes on to say that Rachel, Yaakov agrees with Rachel, he'll give her signs, as I described. And then what happens is exactly as Rachel described. Lovan replaces Yaakov, Rachel with, uh, with Leah. And, Leah, and Rachel realizes Leah will be embarrassed, so she gives, him the, she gives her the signs. In the morning, Yaakov realizes the deception. As all upset, and then he comes and he says he wants to work now to get Rachel. And when Lavan gives the, the excuse that in this land, first the older comes before the younger. So what's going on here? Leah, Rachel herself is saying, my father's cannot. And she agreed with the signs. Suddenly she had a change of heart because of embarrassing so there are many commentaries that talk all about this. I'm going to go straight. This is Chassidus applied. My life Chassidus applied. Chassidus. Because at the end of the day, Chassidus talks about things, everything in Ruchnius. Which means it speaks about what they all, they are all archetypes in the higher worlds. And frankly, every other answer that does not rely on that key point, that this is a story, a higher story, a higher narrative than meets the eye, will end up forcing answers and not really coming away with a complete, comfortable approach. So there's a fascinating mimer from the Alter Rebbe in Vayetze on this topic, the two daughters of, uh, of Lavan, Leah and Rachel, and elaborated upon the Mitla Rebbe. Talk about Chachman Bini, you see it right there, the Mitla Rebbe in Vayetze, Teres Chaim, has pages upon pages. In sum, briefly, the point is this. We're talking here in the highest levels. Lovan actually is rooted in Levan Elyon in a very high spiritual level. I'm going into the details. Yaakov's marrying was obviously going to establish the Jewish nation forever. So this isn't just another marriage. Even every marriage is central, but this one's central of central. So everything playing itself out in Yaakov's marriage is relevant, not just to them, to generations to come, to give his children and grandchildren, his progeny, all the strings they would need to face every particular challenge. Leah and Rachel represent two worlds, Almedes Kassi and Almedes Gali. The hidden worlds of thought is Leah, and the revealed word of Dibur, of speech, is Rachel. Being, building a nation needs both, because you want to bring from the deepest secretive secrets and mysteries of the divine, which is Leah, thought, 
all the way to Pneumius Bina, and you want to bring it completely revealed, in a revealed way, Al-Midizgad, Yerochel Malchus, all the way into Biyah. Now Yaakov, I'm being brief, Alter Rebbe says, and the Mitla Rebbe expounds on this, Yaakov felt that his connection is his Zah, the Zohar is Zah, Zah is the six Midas, and his goal is to reach into Malchus, which is Rachel, and together they will bring the revelation of higher levels of the divine to their children and to the generations and to the world in general. The mistake he made, the words in Tehidus Chaim, the mistake he made, he didn't realize that you need Almi Diskasya too. Because Almi Diskasya is necessary for different reasons. Almi Diskasya is necessary in order to deal with situations when things are not going so well. Golos. Rachel, Alter Rebbe, the Mittler Rebbe explain, is good when things are going well because she's Gilui. But what happens when there's a, a Golos, a concealment? Then you need to lean to deeper resources that you need to go back to Leah. Now, why did Yaakov not love her? Or some places it says she was hated. Some places it says she didn't, he didn't love her as much as he loved Rachel. And the Rabbeim speak about this as well. What the word hate? God forbid that it should be hated. The Gemara talks about this as well, that you can't say hated literally because the Torah would never tell us something so, uh, in, in something so derogatory about anybody. So the, the, in the Gemara... The answer is because she, she hated herself. She hated what was going to come of her because she heard and felt that she would have to marry Esau. So she was a certain, like, hated, despised her own situation. In Medrash, in, uh, in Bereshis Rabbah, Gemara, I mean, uh, in uh, Baba Basra, Kufchov Gimel, in Medrash, Pasha Ayin Aleph 71, talks a bunch of reasons. That her barrenness is considered something that's, that's, that's like hate, despised, being barren, not having children. There's another explanation given, the, like the Gemara with uh, Esau. And there's another explanation given that she was despised by others because they thought that she had fooled Yaakov. When in truth that was not the case because as we're explaining, it was all meant to be. It was all meant to be. So why did this all have to come through Ramois? Why couldn't it have been told? Yaakov should have been told by Hashem. You have to marry Leah. Because there's some things that have to come in, not with our knowledge, not through our consciousness. That's what they explain. Because Leah, because she was such a powerful level, so for Yaakov, there was not a pleasure there because something that's beyond you, Machshava and Bina, is beyond you. This is the Mitla Rebbe's explanation. We can't relate to it. It's beyond us. On the contrary, it causes us even pain. That's one way he explains Snua. That she was not liked. Another explanation is because it's, it's constantly flowing. To the point that Leah is from the word Nila, which means wear, wear him down. When Tainug is continuously flowing, Tainug to me, the ain't a Tainug, it's not pleasure. Her flow is constant. Rochel was Dibur, Dibur you control. So it's a Mashpia, a Mechabal. Yaakov is the Mashpia, Leah is the Mechabal. But Yaakov didn't realize. And so he thought that Leah is beyond and was not in his realm. He couldn't relate to her. And couldn't relate is a form of distance. But the fact is, Leah has two levels, as the, as the Mitla Rebbe explains. There's a level that relates also to giving birth. As a matter of fact, it's Leah that gives birth. Because Rachel, even though she's Gili, but she's, Leda comes very difficult, as he explains in those Maimodim. As I said, I'm not going to go through all the details, but the bottom line point is that with the Primi Satayrech Siddhis, you come away with a whole new appreciation. So the Ramoyes on the level below is love and is taka, a cruel, cunning person. But on a higher level, some revelations have to come not in a conscious way. And they come through you not knowing. And that's why they can come into your life when we say, Mashiach Ba Behes Chadas. Why does it have to be Behes Chadas? Why can't we be told? Because the revelation of Mashiach is higher than Das. It's higher than can be contained. The power of Leah is one that's higher that Yaakov can contain. Yaakov cannot consciously relate to it. But once he saw that she had children, he realized now there's more to say about this. There's an interesting letter from the Rebbe I was going to talk about, but I don't want to use up all the time. So I will reserve a follow-up on this next week. Some more interesting, fascinating details regarding this. And other matters as far as Rachel as well. Which right now, now when you take this basis foundation that I just described, what you have here is why Taka Yaakov had to have, why he had two wives. And then each of them had their maidservant, Bila and Zilpa, which by the way, last week I think I misspoke who was whose maidservant, so I correct that right now. That what? 
that these two forces we need to have in all of life, we need to have the superconscious, which is Leia, and we need to have the conscious and the revealed Rachel. And you need to bring from the highest levels down to the most revealed levels. And that's why both were necessary. But from Yaakov's perspective, he thought Rachel was the connection, and that was it. But then he realized, not nah, that's why he's in Maras HaMachpele, he's with Leia. Rachel becomes Mevaka al-Baneha. She's the one that ultimately remains on the road. And she's ultimately the one that cries for us, which we'll talk about more, as I said, in the next following week. But the whole Parsha comes alive when you start understanding that there's a deeper story going on here with Yaakov and his wives and why it had to happen in this particular fashion, which, for all practical purposes, looks like really deception. And we'll talk about also the connection to the deception of Yaakov of Yitzchak and the blessings there had to come in a form of Leodaiti, meaning that Yitzchak did not know. It had to come from a place that's higher than knowledge, higher than awareness and consciousness. Okay, next question. Rabbi Jacobson. You have said that one cannot release oneself from his or her spiritual fetters. Yes, that's based on the, that's a Maimah Chazal, A person who's bound in fetters, like tied up, can't free themselves. However, are not the techniques in Tanya the way for a person to release himself from his prison? Please explain the power of the Tanya as a personal audience with the Rebbe to set one free from the spiritual ties that bind him. So you answered the question yourself. So first of all, that is true. That's why Tanya is a force that's outside of us. If you, if you came up with ideas how to release yourself from your traps and your fears and your insecurities, it would probably be very difficult because of our subjectivity. Comes Tanya, an objective power, and Taka the Alta Rebbe invests himself. I know Nafshik Sovis Yehovis, it's like Eitzis, like you're in Yechidus with him, and he's the, that's the, and there's no Atzmai anymore. So the techniques he's giving us are actually coming from as if it's coming from someone else. In this case, a Rebbe. In addition, in understanding Tanya, the Alter Rebbe says in his introduction, if you don't understand it, go to the G'delim Shabir, go to Mashpim, to Rav, to people who are, who are leaders that can help apply Tanya to your life. So that's the answer. That's exactly why the Alter Rebbe wrote Tanya, to be able to help lead us to a place that we, higher than we can reach on our own. Next question. Do, is Avis Yisrael only a means to an end? To make someone more from. Or do we have Avis's soul? Because a person has a soul, no matter what if, what if they will not, no matter what, even if they will not become more from. The answer, of course, is the latter. Afal Pishachati Yisrael, who the Gemara says, that even though he sinned, he's Israel. Avis Yisrael, the Haftarecha Kamecha, does not have conditions. And even the conditions that the Gemara says, the Al Tareb explains in Tanya chapter 32. Talk about Rishoyim, Tachlis, and all of that. Because you're not despising them, you're despising their evil. So bottom line is, Avish Yisrael is unconditional. It's foundational and unconditional period. As a matter of fact, by loving someone, being kind, you can help them, like it says, You can help them and bring them close to Teda. So I'm not sure where the question is coming from. Every question, of course, is always a fair question. But just to state it for the record, yes, it's absolutely unconditional. And no, we don't love a neshama in order to bring them closer to Yiddishkeit. The opposite. A neshama wants to be close to Yiddishkeit. What we're doing is talking to them in a kind way. So Avis Yisrael and their connection to God and to Judaism and to Teda is all coming from the same place. The neshama's connection. They just do not know it always. So it's not some manipulation. Somebody, I'll be nice in order to, to draw them in, to drag them, to, to, yes, to draw them in, attract them. Okay, that's the answer to that. Now let's do some follow-up. I have a lot of follow-up. I hope I can cover some of it because it's been falling behind, but let's see. First was about learning Rambam, um, three prokim versus one prokim, which we discussed. So here are a lot of comments. Can't tell you how many. Can't address them all. I'll just, I just summed them up into five comments. I really enjoy your weekly classes. Concerning your last class, when the question of one chapter or three chapters of Rambam, which one should you learn? one more in depth, or three will you read quickly? There is an answer in Igris that was sent to me from a WhatsApp group 
In it, the Rebbe answers someone who asks this exact question. The Rebbe answers that it's better to do one chapter of Rambam properly than three not properly. That not everyone needs to do three chapters. Now, I wish this person, I could not write back to them. So I'm not sure where that answer comes from, but I did find that there's an answer from the Rebbe to one of the Shluchim who asks that he, if he can be freed from doing three prokim. And the Rebbe said, for who are you working? Meaning that he's working for the person, the Rebbe, who made that takana. So what do you mean you don't have room? On the other hand, in the Fabrengen of Shabbos Parshat Tetzave, Tov Shemem Hei, the Rebbe spoke about the, the different tracks. One track is one chapter a day. And he said, for those that it's fitting for their situation to learn one chapter a day, that will be considered exactly like learning three chapters for those that are capable of doing that. But someone who's capable of learning three chapters, it's obvious that he's not going to be Yetz, it's not good enough for him to learn one chapter. So this clearly indicates that this comes down to, if you can learn, you can't learn more than one chapter properly, that's probably the way to go. Okay, on the other hand, someone writes that in the Sikh of Chayasar and Tafshinun, 5750, the Rebbe says, surely among those sitting here are those that finished learning the Rambam, either learned it or, or, or said it. Gelerent or the Gezokt. So here, it seems like there's room for saying it, even if you haven't learned it. I don't think it's a contradiction, because I think the Rebbe wanted to be understood to some extent. But if it's completely just reading it, and you can learn one chapter, why not do that? And it's considered just... So it's, it's a question, really, I think, case by case, because it's very hard to draw the line. Which brings me to another person writing... We know the Rebbe kocht in three prokim. So l'chere, better to learn one perik in depth of the three prokim and two with, read with less depth. That's like a reconciliation. So read one in depth and the other two read, read quicker. I don't know if that's what the Rebbe would say because then the day you're still spending time reading and maybe you could use that time to read the first chapter, the one chapter in depth. But that's another person's suggestion. And finally someone wrote, you opine that it is better to learn one perik of Raman properly than three chapters without understanding them. I think this is correct according to Halacha. He quotes the Alter Rebbe's Shulchanot, the Alter Rebbe Shulchanot, Madura Kama, Aleph Tes, meaning Simon Aleph uh, section 9, Sif Tes. Tev ma'at tachnunim b'kavona, meharbes b'loi kavona, v'chein b'talmud teira. That's better, many prayers, uh, many, better, less prayers with intention than many without intention. And the same with Talmud teira. Okay. And finally, let me cite, I spoke about Chitas, so in a sikhah from Shabbos Parshamatis Masseh, Tov Shemem Vov, so the Rebbe talks about learning chitas, the shiurei teir in general, and he says there clearly that shaloi kadas not like those that mistakenly think that these shiurim are only part of learning teir. Because then you could say that the, the tanya, which is a part of oral teir, you can only be mekami, you only fulfill when you understand it. So the Rebbe says, no, And just like with the Shia Chumash and Tehillim, which is written Torah, you can fulfill, even if you don't understand, the same thing, Yeshlemi, you can do with Shia Tanya. That's what he says here. And he brings side sources. And then the Rebbe quotes after that, in Reich Kivish and Iskabel, Shir Besefer Arambam, Be'echem Nagimel Efan, Gimel Prokim Yem Sefer Amitzvus, or Perek Achel Yem. Here, it's not necessarily clear whether the Rambam would also fit into that category, but I just wanted to quote that because I did mention Chitas. Okay, that covers that. There was another follow up on labor and birth. Hi, I'd like, which was last episodes as well. Hi, I'd like to respond to the discussion on episode 284 about Hasidus in regards to labor and birth. My mashpia explained to me that labor and giving birth is the same as Hashem's name. Hashem's name is made up of four letters. The first is Yud, which is like a dot, represents the first drop of seed from which the child is conceived. The He denotes expansion, which is how the fetus develops throughout the nine months. Vav is drawing downward. This is where labor begins, that the, day, the baby has to descend through the birth canal. It culminates with hay, expansion again, which is birthing the actual child. This is also the process of how the light of God, a divine light, comes to the world. 
Yudke Vavke. During the labor, she encouraged me to visualize this idea that each contraction which lowers the baby further down, I should also think about how this is the Vav, that I'm drawing down the light of God. I found this to be extremely helpful and comforting. It made me feel very close to Hashem, like I could almost understand and feel what Hashem put Himself through in order to create this world. It made me feel that I can communicate to Hashem through my labor, and therefore ultimately made my birthing experience, although still painful, very positive. Okay, thank you for that. So let me do, uh, there's more follow-ups. I'm not going to do them more literally. There's just too much. And so I'll do two quick ones. One was about homelessness. Rabbi, it is not compassionate to allow the encampments of homeless people. I think this goes back to episode 283. I'm almost sure. There has become a huge problem of public urination and defecation of public inappropriate behavior and the spread of STDs and drug use. These people need drug and alcohol rehab, mental health care and our jobs, not to be allowed to live in the streets. That was regarding what was compassionate regarding lessons dealing with homelessness. Okay, thank you for qualifying and uh, no comment. Finally, I spoke about the blessing, whether the president of the United States, any president, has the din of a melech, whether you make a blessing, b'shem amalchus. So someone quoted the Shevet Halevi from Rabbi Shmuel Wasner, and he said you can make the blessing on the president because he's the most honored among their nation and they are respected without parallel and therefore it is appropriate to make the blessing who gave him this, uh, his, his honor. Shevet Halevi, volume 1, Simon 35. I looked that up. It's actually talking about a queen. The question is there whether it's only on a king or also a queen. So some extrapolate that if it's a queen, then why not also a president? Possible. I also, in the context of uh, discussion, and did find that there are Rabbanim who have actually immersed themselves now in trying to address this issue because people are asking the question. Remember, the question is both making the blessing and also do you go make an effort to find a, see a president to make a blessing? Or, or the, not to make a blessing, to see him, which is also a din. So there are actual sources and people who have passed and I've seen it, that are saying yes. Some are saying, if you don't make the brach, which means you can rely on that as well. You could also not make it. But some of the opinion that if, if, if they have the choice, you should make the blessing. So it's important to know, as I said, that if everything is down to Allah, you should ask a rov that you relate to, that you trust, an authority, that you can speak about this. I just wanted to finish the circle on this topic. And they give their reasons. If anybody's interested, I can give you some of the documents that was given to, given to me where, the, where they debate the issue and come up with their different conclusions. Okay. With that, I'm going to now go to the Chassidus question. Is our world the destination or the antechamber? Dear Rabbi Jacobson, this is a Chassidus question. In Chassidus, we focus on how the physical world is the ultimate. And we're here to make a dwelling place for the Ebishter. God. And when Mashiach comes, it will be complete. However, in Ovis, in Pirkei Ovis, it says that this world is the corridor. Pruzdur. It's a corridor to the next world. And how are we to hear, and how we're here, and we're here in this world only passing through. How, do, how can you reconcile both of these? So it's an excellent question. The Mishnah also says, that it's more beautiful or more powerful or more, more, more vital to do one tshuva ma'isim tevim in Elam haza sha'achas, one hour, than all the life of Elam haba. On the other hand, it says, yofa sha'achas, kedas shal kedas ruach, one hour of pleasure of Elam haba is more, worth more than all the pleasures of this world. So there you see a contradiction as well. Which one is it? So the answer, Chassidus says, and V'kocha, the Mereb Marash says, Nachas ruach beira or nachas ruach nivra? If you're talking about nachas ruach beira, God's pleasure, more pleasure in the world than this world, that's what he sends the neshama down here. If you're talking about our pleasure of the nivra, more pleasure in Elam Haba, because there's no challenges, there's no uh, hunger, there's no um, pain, there's no death, there's no suffering, only learning teda, connecting to the divine. Or in the words of the Alter Rebbe, with the Machlekes of Shammai and Hill, what's more pleasant? So that, in this case, Shammai, the ruling is a Shammai that's more pleasant not to be born than to be born because the pain of this life is more powerful than sometimes the joy. Yet, Nuach is the word, pleasant. But there's something more than Nuach, not what's pleasant, what's the Kavana, what's more meaningful. More meaningful is Dafka to come to this world. That's why the Torah was given here, not to the Malachim, as the Gemara explains, 
Moshe's answer to the angels. That's why the Neshama Taka comes from a higher place to a lower place. As the Alter Rebbe makes the case in chapter 36 in Tanya, that's the reason the Kavon is not an Elam Esol The Kavon is Dafke coming the Tachten Shein Tachten Lamatumene to make a Dira B'Tachtenim. The fact that it says in places, like in the Mishnah Perkyovis, that we are a, ch- a corridor, is because for the Neshama's pleasure, this world does not provide the pleasure that Elam Haba. So there's an element of reward that the Neshama gets when it leaves this world. But the ultimate Kavona, there's no question, this is the place. And this, of course, connects to the ultimate Machlekes between the Rambam and the Ramban. The Rambam holds that Elam Haba is, Gane- is the ultimate reward, is Elam Haba in the meaning of Ganeden. Why? Because a soul can appreciate the divine. A body can be taught, but it can never appreciate it on the same sublime level as a soul can. That Amban comes and says, no, Tachlis Aschar is Tchis HaMesim, Shama Enaguf. That Amban also is Tchis HaMesim, but after Tchis HaMesim, according to the Rambam, then this, the body again will fade away, and you'll have only the souls will live on forever. There'll be a t- time that you have to reward the body together with the soul, because it was part of the work of Tere Mitzvah in this world. But the Ramban, the ultimate schad and, and permanent schad, the Shama V'guf. And the Tzemach Tzedek says that the Drushim, the Alter Rebbe, Paskins, Reva Drushim, which says, Kol Drushim, the Alter Rebbe quotes the Shitta of the Ramban. So there, that there is an approach like that, there is, based on a more spiritual view, that this world is only there for the reward for the soul, but there's a hard, deeper reason. When you talk about the reasons of creation, we know the reason is not just for the soul to get more pleasure, not just for us to overcome challenges and return back to a more, to to a more sublime place. That the Nesava Kaddish Baruch and the reasons of creation is not all the reasons that God should do kindness or that we should recognize God's greatness, that we should, that we should recognize God's perfection and God's compassion. The ultimate reason, as he says in Samachvav, is Nesava Kaddish Baruch That's the only way you can explain this world. Because if you talk about Giluim, then the purpose should be the higher world. And that cannot be. Because he created this world, so the purpose is ultimately this world. And the way we explain the corridor is there's certain benefits that come to Neshama. But that's not the ultimate way of looking at why God created existence. Even though on certain levels, the reason can be in Giluim, you could say that reason. For Giluim, you can say there's the Carter element, but not when you're talking about the entire picture. Like in Natsilis, you could say that. As he says in Samarvov, that Natsilis, the other reasons for creation are legitimate, but not in the whole picture where then Dafke did a betachtenim, Dafke in this material world, in the Yesha Gashmi, because Hulavade Bikeche, as the Alter Rebbe says in the Gerach Kedesh Simachov, only this Yesh of this world that feels that it has no creator, it has no cause, no Ila Inle Ila Besiba. Has no, it has, does not feel like it has a cause or a, a root, a source, comes from Atmus himself, his existence comes from within himself. Nothing created him. That he imparted that feeling. Now, our goal is to align our Yesh Anivra, Yesh Agashmi, with the Yesh Amiti, as the Rebbe, as Chsidis explains and the Rebbe elaborates upon. With that, let's do the three essays. So, three essays. First one is How to Love and Not to Judge. Mina Zalmanov, age 19, Hollis Hills, New York, student based Chanetz Fas Seminary. How to love and not to judge. You're sitting calmly on the bus and she staggers on, pushing a stroller, a stroller and two whining toddlers. Tag at her skirt. She looks a bit frazzled and glances around, desperately trying to find a seat. Your heart goes out to her, causing you to righteously giving up the coveted place. She sits down and lets out a deep breath. But the children are waiting for some attention now that the rush to get on the bus has passed. You then struggle to keep your composure and she pulls out her phone and starts scrolling. Okay, maybe she needs to make a call. But bottom line, it's very annoying. Such Thoughts such as these run through our consciousness on a daily or even hourly basis when meeting a prospective employee and so on. So this essay is going to address the issue of judging others and based on Pashas Yisrael with Meshe Rabbeinu, how Yisrael gave Meshe advice how to judge, will derive from that different lessons of how to love and not to judge people. It goes on to explain that in quite a fascinating way. I liked it. Yes. 
and how to shift our way of thinking once you understand the basis of Chassidus. Chassidus teaches you how to look at people and how you should put yourself in that person's shoes, the mirror image, and how it affects ultimately our thought, speech, and action. Very good essay. Thank you for that. And with that, we go to the second essay. Your future is in your hands. Mina Phillips, Mina Phillips, age 19, Worcester, Massachusetts, also a student of the Beis Seminary. Life is hard. We all wish there had been some kind of assurance at birth that our life would be one long, straight, and smooth path. But the reality is far from it. Our, many lives, our lives take on many different twists and turns. But the good news is, as we're going to do in this course of this essay, I will attempt to expound upon the concept of worrying, why we worry, and how we can help ourselves overcome the obstacle using concepts from Chabad Chassidus. This essay will be mainly based off of Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Liadis of Tanya, as well as different talks from, Rabbi, from the Rebbe concerning the Hasidic perspective of man's relationship with God and his ability to impact the future. And does exactly that, goes on to talk about the talk and trust and faith, faith and trust, and um, how to make that a reality in your life. Another well-done essay. Thank you for that. And finally, the essay, the third essay for this week's episode, Happiness Explained, Sholem Reitport, age 17, Brooklyn, New York, a student at Seidei Hashluchim Tzfas. This paper will focus on the age-old question of how one can find true happiness, even in the darkest of times. One issue focused upon in this paper is why did God put individuals on this earth only for them to be unhappy? And goes on to address other related themes. Um, I liked very much how this was done. Circumstance, personal failure, loss of self-worth, these are all the, and sadness with no obvious reasons, all the forces that demoralize us and weaken us. And then goes on to a whole different type of approach Achsidus offers how to reignite certain parts of our personality and our soul to counter that type of negative thinking. Well done essay, quite extensive, and uh, well done. I commend all these essays. All these essays can be found as we post them each week at chassidusapply.com. And um, we will soon be announcing, of course, the next essay contest, so you can start writing an essay. The rules will be similar. There will be always new additions, some exciting developments, which we'll talk about. But I want to conclude now with um, wishing everyone a Chagagula, a Gula, a month of Gulas, the month of Yud Kislev, then Yudal Kislev, the Simcha of the Rebbe Rebetzin, then Yutes Kislev, going into Chanukah, should be a Gula Dika month to the Gula, Amitiz Vashlema. We're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. And please continue sending your questions, your comments, your feedback, your critique. And above all, we can definitely use your support to help expand this program and the different related programs by going to chassidusapply.com slash donate or sponsor a program in memory or in honor of a loved one. Everyone have a very blessed week. Again, a good yontif in this Chagagula going into the other Yomim Tevim coming. And we shall see you next week, Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. Thank you very much.